Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos, welcome to the Believe Nick show. Matthew Miranda joined by Stacey Patton as always. This is episode 38. As we have gone over recently, there are certain numbers that no one has ever been in Nick history, and 38 is one of them. No 37s, no 38s, no 39s. Um, but I did want to ask Stacy right off the bat, when you think number 45 and Knicks, because there's been a lot of um, Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks talk, and Mitchell wears 45, which is Jericho Sims' number right now, does the number 45 have any significance to you in Nick history? Uh, not particularly. I thought you were going to ask me 40, because I know that. It's Kurt Thomas. But um, Oh, yeah. There's a few 40s. Favorite Knicks. Um, 40, I mean, honestly, the number 45, I always think of Michael Jordan. So Right. Well, let me give you before Jericho Sims, the last Nick to wear 45 was Cole Aldrich. Before that, brief Nick, irrational fan favorite, Jackie Butler. Um. The 45 I remember, a guy by the name of Eddie Lee Wilkins. Um, Eddie Lee Wilkins has one of the strangest careers in Nick history. He was um, a rookie in 84-85, and in his first game, he came off the bench and had like 24 points and 10 rebounds, and him and Bernard King like keyed this win, and it was just amazing. The, the garden was chanting Eddie Lee Wilkins' name, he literally never had a game the rest of his career like anywhere near that performance. It was it was like this. It would it was stranger than if if Jericho Sims had had twenty four and ten in his first game. Like this guy just blew up opening night, and then never had a game like that. It, it never came close to having that kind of a performance. So, those of you who remember Eddie Lee Wilkins, shout out to Eddie Lee Wilkins. Cool. But let's talk about some slightly more well-known Knicks or potential Knicks. Um, Donovan Mitchell, the talk is happening between the teams. The talk on Twitter about what you should give up, what you shouldn't give up. Is he worth trading for in the first place? Um, What has stood out to you the most from the story so far that's caught your attention, either from the, just within the, NBA or the conversation around the conversation between the teams? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating to see kind of the games. I mean, you know that a lot of the reports that are coming out are leaked by, you know, one of those two front offices, right? So you see that um, the Jazz, you know, basically putting out things that um, that say that they have all the leverage, that they're willing to wait, um, that they were, um, you know, that... Um, you know, this is what they want. Uh, you saw the Knicks, I think, leaked that um, the Jazz had been shopping Mitchell for two weeks um, previously since that Gobert trade to try to get put it out there that, you know, the market isn't that high. Um, so it's really fascinating just the, you know, how these they're using the media to kind of um, as, an, as another negotiator and, and to put pressure on the other side. Um, and in the Twitter age, you know, that's, that's just a very interesting dynamic um, that gets sped up. Um, I think that the Knicks are in a good spot, though. I mean, for everyone who a lot of people were complaining about the draft night trade, but those three extra firsts are a bit of a difference maker for the Knicks right now. Um, and I know you know there's protections on them, but I would keep in mind that the Nick, the the Jazz are basically the Jazz have two stars and a bunch of veterans around them, right? So yes, their priority is going to be to get that next star, which is what unprotected picks usually want. Um. But they also will need to fill out the roster with good, with good uh, young, cheap players on on good contracts, and that's where those um, those protected picks even are pretty useful. And we saw Danny Ainge; that's how he built his team in Boston. A uh, lot of a lot of mid to late first that they found value in. Um, obviously, you know Tatum and Brown, like the big pieces, came through the, the lottery. But I, you know, I think that people should not be so quick to dismiss those. Um, but I think the bottom line, and I tweeted about this, is the Knicks can offer a better package than anyone. And personally, I don't believe that it has to uh, require giving up any of uh, who I'll call the Knicks big four prospects. 
um, IQ, OB, Grimes, or um, RJ. Um, because they can probably do something like six picks, the three unprotected, and then the three protecteds they have. Um, the three of the protecteds they have, um, plus, and I mean, you can make Cam, Deuce, um, and then Salary Filler. I think that that's still better than, you know, Tyler Hero has to get paid in a year, um, and then the Heat would probably have to move Duncan Robinson's contract, which isn't very attractive. Uh, and they can only trade three firsts, and one of those firsts they can't is won't be until twenty twenty nine. So, um, you know, and they don't have a first from other teams. So I don't think it's. Um, I think that it kind of, you know, the Knicks are are in the prime position. Now the Jazz can wait, and if that changes, then it'll certainly look like a missed opportunity if the Knicks were in position to be the only team to get a star. Um, so how you. Um, how you manage that is, is going to be interesting. They might be forced to give up someone like Grimes. Um, the reports have said that that's um, that's a pretty um, the that's a pretty um, the, Grimes is a priority for the for the Jazz. But other than that, I think people talking about two of those guys, eight picks. Uh, the Knicks just at this point don't really need to do that, and Utah will lose some leverage because they probably want to tank this year. Um, you know, Mitchell is frustrated, um, and that becomes a volatile situation if you go to to training camp and he's still on the roster. So, one thing that may work in the Knicks' favor is uh, there may be a bit of a Pat Riley tax if there is any kind of a deal between the Jazz and the Heat because. Danny Ainge and Pat Riley are famous adversaries, and it has not died down for like 35 years. Um, it was very fairly, only a couple of years ago, I think, when Riley came out, or some story came out about, I think Riley called Ainge a dick in like some negotiations. Yeah. Like, so that may, maybe for once, Pat Riley being Pat Riley works against him and works in the Knicks' favor. I feel, um, and I think this is reflective of of how I feel going forward. I'm, I'm very, you know, it's, it's not newsworthy to say that my feeling about a Mitchell trade is completely dependent on what they give up for him. Um, but one reason I feel not anxious as I have in the past when these moments come up is that first of all, when was the last time a star player was available and the Knicks were the front, they're pretty much the consensus front runner for, the team that everyone thinks can get him. Mellow. Mellow. And that was a long time ago, and that was... Um, even that was, was... Well, that was a different thing. But it's been a while. This isn't a common situation for the Knicks to find themselves in. And with and Mellow, it wasn't like... Is, it was. Go ahead. The other parallel is it's a, a hometown player. Um, I mean, Mellow grew up in Baltimore, was born in Brooklyn... Uh, who wants to come to New York, right? So mm-hmm. that's obviously a big angle with Mitchell, um, where we and probably Miami are his two preferred options, but we're in mm-hmm. a better position right now. But sorry, go ahead. No, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I feel that I trust this front office will not overpay to do this. I think in part because the Knicks are in an unusually strong position for this kind of a moment. And because this front office, I, I would say to this point, hasn't, gone overboard with really anything they did. Some people complain now about the Randall contract, but at the time that it was signed, I heard generally like praise for, hey, both sides gave up something. Every draft night, they pulled a bunch of moves that end up looking good. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't, I didn't think Fournier was really radically overpaid. Um, I think they've done a good job of being fair and not getting ripped off in deals. And so I feel like, yeah, you know what? They've put themselves in this position. I don't think they're going to give up. Now, you say McBride, Reddish, and, like, let's say, like, six firsts. I feel that I would do, like, in a heartbeat. I feel that Utah is going to want at least one, if not two. And I don't think they want Barrett for the same reason that they won't want Hero, because he's due for money, like, fairly soon. So... Are they? I mean, if you're the Jazz, they got Vanderbilt from Minnesota, but it wasn't really a package of like. Oh, they got Kessler too. Okay, 
I don't know. If you're the Jazz, would you make this move and not get Grimes, OB, quickly? I, I kept figure, thinking the Knicks would have to give up two of those guys. Um, I would really love not to give up any of them. Do you think for Utah, a bunch of picks, McBride and Reddish, is that, do you think Reddish is still like pretty highly regarded like around the league that like he would be a meaningful young player to get back in a deal like Vanderbilt was from the Wolves? Um, I think reasonably. I mean, the Knicks did get a protected first. Uh, I had to give up a protected first for him. Um, so I would imagine his value is still somewhere around there. Um, he got hurt, but I thought his defense looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to compare it to someone like Hero, I mean, he's always going to be a liability in the playoffs. Um, that really hurts his um, his value. Uh, I mean, on defense, I should say. Obviously, the scoring is legit. Um, whereas Reddish, I think, is viewed kind of with that upside. Um, but um, you know, why I think it would be different. Um, they, the Knicks are giving out more picks. Same number of uh, unprotected, and they they have the ability to give three to four uh, protected firsts. Um, and if they really need to add an extra unprotected first, if they trade the fourth unprotected, I think they'd rather do that than give up one of those big four. But there's a few differences with the Minnesota trade. Uh, everyone will say, well, Mitchell's a better player. But with Rudy Gobert, uh, Minnesota already had Cat and Anthony Edwards on the roster. The Knicks do not. Um, <clears throat> the Knicks do not have that guy. They will need um, pieces. And... What further complicates is people, you know, it's only three to four firsts, right? But once you trade those, you cannot trade picks in consecutive years. So that will hamstring the Knicks' ability to make the next move. And to be clear, if they get Donovan Mitchell, there has to be a next move. And that's why you need to keep as many of the young guys as possible. Um, because if they, you know, if they trade IQ and Obi, I think one of the reports said the Utah wanted IQ, Obi, and Grimes and six firsts. I think I've seen every possible permutation of what Utah wants. Yeah, but that's, I think, the the first report that came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Nixon, because what do you have? Le- then, you know, I've seen people say, well, you still have RJ, Randall, Rose. I mean, and, and that's when, so I think the, the people have been asking the question, well, is does this nick the Knicks more than a 45-win team if they get Mitchell, right? Uh, I think that's the only the right question to ask if the Knicks have to sell the farm. Yep. So that's that's what it comes down to. The Knicks should not want to do this trade unless they are selling the farm. And the fact that the Jazz did trade Gobert uh, tips their hand a little bit, right? Um, when they traded Gobert, he was the first star to go. So at that point, you do have leverage because then you say, we, we can just keep running this back for another year. We're, but, you know, we'd like to rebuild. Now that they've already done Gobert, they kind of have to trade Mitchell. Um, so the Knicks are in a better spot than the Wolves were from that standpoint, too. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I think the Knicks are in a good spot and they're offering more picks and the Jazz have less leverage than they did during the Gobert deal. I'm not sure there's ever been a time where one NBA player was more horrified at the thought of a particular trade than Tyler Hero having to move from South Beach <laughs> to Utah like that just. I would get league pass like just to watch that dude's facial expressions like over the year. Um, he fits the demographic, though. <laughs> in one sense, he definitely does. Um, do you have any concern about a Mitchell Brunson fit? Um, Assuming both would start, which I assume they would. In theory, no. In practice, especially at first, yes. I think the offense should be fine. They're both pretty good off-ball players. Um, I think Mitchell would probably take more of the on-ball load, but we've seen Brunson obviously thrive next to Luka Doncic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that might be a good way for him to continue to improve, increase his role while still not immediately having to be the guy. That might be a a bumpy adjustment. He's shown, obviously, that without Luka, he was very capable. But, um, you know, being the guy at Madison Square Garden, that's a little bit of pressure. Um, it's defense where the questions arise. Um, and I think it can work. So if you go back to Louisville, Donovan Mitchell came out as a highly ballyhooed defensive prospect. He was very intense. He's very toolsy. He's got a 6'10 wingspan, obviously an elite athlete, really strong. Um, and he was a great defender. And he, out of college, people were, I mean, I was looking at him as like elite defender. If the shot comes around, um, you know, that's a very useful player. 
Um, and he's actually been just an on-ball god and awful on defense. Big part of that seems to be effort. A lot of people will say, you know, um, so um, what, what I question is, well, if your effort isn't good on the Utah Jazz when you're a perennial playoff team, you know, how, how do we know it's going to get better? Everyone says Tibbs, but Quinn Snyder is a pretty respected coach too. <coughs> um, and I think the responses that I've seen that make some sense is, one, obviously Mitchell was unhappy with his teammates, uh, wasn't crazy about going to work there. <coughs> and two, uh, when you do have Rudy Gobert behind you, uh, you know, it's kind of a luxury, right? Um, I'm not sure I buy that as much, but we have seen other players who were poor on defense pick it up at this point in their careers. Devin Booker is an example, mm-hmm. uh, who's a very poor defender, now is, is a very good one. And Mitchell's probably op- operating from a better standpoint from a tools perspective. And I think the other thing is, I think Mitchell's real strengths would be on ball, using his tools. And mm-hmm. Brunson's strengths are the opposite. Brunson is a very good team defender. He gives a ton of effort. If you can hide him on off-ball shooters and let him chase them around screens, which he is really good at, um, and let him leverage his strength to maybe guard up a little bit, I think that can work. Um, and I also think keeping quickly on the team, and ideally Grimes too, should help. Because both those guys are, are versatile uh, on-ball and off-ball defenders. Um, so that's how I see that working out. So let me ask you, let's say if we rank them. And, of course, RJ's defense has improved. We saw him actually guard John Morant for a game last year and do really well. Um, He's obviously shown the ability to guard big wings, so his versatility should help a little bit too. Do you think that Mitchell could thrive defensively in a way that we haven't seen from him before because he played in such a specific like ecosystem in Utah where you have this elite, like elite, elite defensive big man, and then everybody else around you is kind of a perimeter sieve. And now you come to a team that has not that level of a center, but still um, a plus defensive center in Mitch, but Barrett, I would say Randall, um, and even Brunson, if those were the three starters around Donovan Mitchell, like, like maybe in Utah... I don't know, maybe he's got to gamble a lot because he knows that other than Gobert, everyone else at some point is going to get beat. And maybe in New York, he could be more of like what you're saying, like a <coughs> on-ball point of attack, not have to worry that, you know, three quarters of his teammates can't play defense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much the issue was gambling um, as much as just a flat-out lack of effort. Um, Brunson was terrific against Mitchell. Um, in the playoffs and deserves a lot of credit for that. But there was, for a player of Mitchell's caliber, that was just very disappointing to see. Um, We have seen that he can turn it off. I've seen him, especially against the Knicks, actually make plays on defense to really change a game in the fourth. Um, But, you know, right now, that's, it is what it is. It's, um, it's a pretty difficult, um, you know, it's just difficult to, that's not what he is right now. Um, I don't know that it's so much, gambling as just a lack of effort um, and that is kind of disturbing now could the lack of effort also be due to the fact that nobody else on the, the perimeter was a good defender maybe uh, maybe that was discouraging to him um, but he's I mean he's a leader and he's been praised for kind of his leadership abilities um, so you'd hope that he would inspire and get the most out of them um, just like you would hope that he'd be able to do that with someone like Julius Randle who has has shown uh, inconsistency in terms of his effort, um, to put it mildly, on defense. Um, the last thing I would say is I do think Mitchell has handled this better than some of the other trade request situations um, than other stars. He hasn't completely forced Utah's hand. Um, I think there's been reports that he's been malcontent for a while, but he hasn't been going public and, and disparaging the organization or anything like that. So I think he, that is worth commending that I think he's handled it pretty well. Isn't the official storyline that the Jazz changed their mind about becoming open to trades, or did Mitchell like ask for a, a trade out? I think it's they changed their mind. Um, so again, there there have been reports that suggested that the Jazz were actually tra- trying to trade Mitchell the same time they traded Gobert. So I think Danny and like that goes back to that you know Brian Windhorst report that's become a meme. <laughs> yes, but yeah, like they. Danny Ainge, he, he came in in Boston. He wanted to do a rebuild. 
And right now, Utah is, I, I don't, I think it's a hasty decision. I mean, they're a year away from, yes, it was the pandemic, but they were the one seed last year, uh, just, just a year ago. <coughs> so um, I think, and, and, but Gobert is getting older. Uh, Mitchell may not be the guy you want to be the number one. And he also may not, he may, he may want to get out. Um, you know, he may be not content there, like not willing enough, not enough to make a trade request, but like ideally maybe he wants to go somewhere else and the, and Danny and she gets to hit a reset with a new coach. Um, <clears throat> so that kind of looks to be the situation. You said earlier, um, the idea of this big four of the young Knicks being Barrett Grimes quickly and Toppin. I'm curious this, all the trade rumors have made me like really have to confront for the first time, not abstractly, like where do I actually rank the young Knicks? Like when you're actually coming down to a deal where you may have to pick between one guy and the other. I want to see where your one, two, three, four, I want to guess your one, two, three, four, because I feel like having spoken to you about the Knicks for however many months we've had this pod, there are certain people that I feel like you've been high on, longer than others, and you might value more highly than others. Um, one reason I really wanted Jade and Ivy to end up a Nick other than the obvious is that you were like in January, like as soon as the season was like done, you were like, well, if you're looking for something to do, Jade and Ivy. So you have a certain prescience about your, your basketball knowledge. I'm going to guess right now from four to one how I think you rank the four young Knicks, and then we'll see what trade permutations you would go for. I would guess of the four Knicks that you would have OB number four. I would guess you would have Grimes number three. And I'm going to say you like quickly. Um, I'm gonna say RJ two and quickly one. <clears throat> that is, that is closest. Um, I don't publicize. So here's here's one thing I'll say. Um, I for whatever reason towards the end of the season I started to be a little bit lower on RJ Barrett, and I feel like that's probably not thinking completely clearly. Mm. <clears throat> so given his value, given he's a wing, I'd probably still put RJ over quickly. Okay. But um, and here's how I'll explain it, right? I think quickly actually has a better chance to be of becoming like a top 25, top 30 player. Um, whereas I see Barrett a little bit more in the Wiggins mold. But Barrett does have the higher ceiling. So I think quickly 70th percentile or 75th percentile outcome is better than RJ's. But RJ's like 90th percentile outcome is better than quickly's. And I still think ultimately wings like that are the hardest to find. Uh, I think it's really hard to find guys with quickly, quickly shot creation, shooting ability, who are also value adds on defense, which he is. Um, I mean, if you look at advanced impact stats, like he is arguably one of the most uh, impactful players on the Knicks. Um, of the, I think three of three man lineups of the top twenty five three man lineups for the Knicks, quickly was in twenty four of them. Um, <laughs> so he is just. Um, um, and he's a really good player to play next to Barrett, right? Because he can space the floor. He can play on and off ball. Um, and that's a really good fit next to Barrett. So I'm still going to put RJ1 and quickly two with those caveats. I think in a vacuum, I would say Grimes 3 and OB4. However, one thing I have thought about a little bit more is, you know, if we do trade for Mitchell, we are going to be backcourt heavy. Um, and it would be nice to have a guy like Obi who can complement that backcourt scoring with his ability to operate in the front court. Um, he's also a really good passer. I think he would mesh extremely well with Brunson and Mitchell. So for that particular trade, I could see prioritizing um, Obi over Grimes. But I think it's really close. I mean, especially the way Grimes has played at Summer League, lots of people, uh, lots of people I respect do have him over, uh, over quickly um, and over everyone but RJ. And I think... I understand why the consensus is RJ is the untouchable one. Um, but, um, you know, so, and, and I'm closer to that, but I think quickly is very close to him as a prospect. 
Um, and I think um, Alan Hahn had a, a Facebook post, um, <laughs> weirdly enough, where he mentioned that, um, you know, it would probably, like he mentioned Obi and Grimes, but he said RJ's untouchable and they do not want to trade quickly. So I think that is probably the ranking for them is RJ quickly and then Obi and Grimes are the next two. <clears throat> but I mean, we th- I think there are four very legit prospects. And for all four of them, I could see them being guys who make you know, who are worth more than $20 million a year when they, when they do end up getting paid. So one reason it's so hard to rank the young players is that depending which way that, you know, the trade goes, Toppin's value is, is very different. If you somehow ended up in a Nick deal where Randall obviously went the other way, then suddenly Toppin becomes much more important. I think if you're bringing in Mitchell for me, quickly's, I might I, I might be short-sighted. I might I'm probably more willing to listen on letting quickly go because now I'm gonna have two kind of high usage small guards who are both gonna play 33, 35 minutes a game. Um every way that you spend the deal that kind of changes like what, what significance everybody has. Um it's a really fascinating it's 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 really interesting to me how there's no consensus right now on what it would be like with the, with the Carmelo trade, it was pretty known. Like the only sticking point ended up being near the end. If they would trade Mozgov also, because it was known that it was going to be Gallinari and Chandler Felton and Billups became like a thing and then picks. And then at the end it because I remember on, on FAN people screaming about like, you can't, you, you can't lose, you can't lose Carmelo Anthony for Timothy Mozgov. Like, there's not one person holding this up. There's so many ways that this trade can play out, man. And and well, this front office for everything this front office has done, we haven't we haven't really seen this. Like we haven't seen them like swing for the fences like this yet. I don't think. And I don't think I mean I think they <clears throat> they are all about assets and leverage, right? Um so I think Grimes is probably holding it up. Um, I think they're going to try hard to keep all four of those guys I mentioned. Mm-hmm. From what I've heard um, or seen, and I'm not saying sources, I'm saying from what I've seen from aggregations and all of that, it appears they would prefer to trade picks to young players. If it took more picks, if it took another unprotected first even, they'd probably do that rather than give up Grimes. Um, but I, I think that. But I don't think they want to go too much higher than six picks because they don't. they shouldn't have to, right? Yeah. Um, and I think they aren't. I, I don't think this front office is gonna put themselves in a situation where they cannot make another big move. Yeah. Um, and if they trade three unprotected firsts, they won't be able to trade one for a while. Uh, expect, except on draft night trades, but even that is only one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're good, then you know th- those won't be very high picks, and it's not probably gonna get you a star. So they're gonna either they're gonna keep the young players or they're gonna keep more picks. Um, but they're not going to do that. And that was kind of the thing. So I think that Mellow trade, like, they got back good value, right? Um, they gave up one one first-rounder, um, which I did think ended up, like, late lotto. What was Jamal Murray? Uh, Jamal Murray. That, was that Jamal Murray? Yeah. Yeah, it was Jamal Murray. That's right. Um, I got it confused because there I was I think he was, like, 13th, I think. Yeah. Um, I think he was higher than that, right? It was late. Um, he was late. maybe. It was the seventh overall pick. Oh, excuse me. Um, no, but he was 2016. Yeah, I don't think. I think. No, that pick is from the Melo deal. I know that for a fact. It might have conveyed later. Um, but anyway, yeah, they gave up a first. Um, and it was. Um, they give up a first. They give up. At that time, my sticking point had been: I thought that they had three really good younger players. In Chandler, Landry Fields, and um, and Gallinari, and I said, you know, they would probably have to give up at least one of them. They should hold the line and not try to give up both. Um, and which, which both? Which two? Or, or two of them? Oh, two of them. Um, okay, okay. And then if they have to give up two, and then even if they had to give up two, you probably want to keep the you probably want to keep your most valuable one. Um, I think at the time there's a reason they were very high on Landry Fields. Mm-hmm. Had a great first half of his rookie season. 
something happened to a shooting later on and, and just wasn't the same. But they gave up two of those guys. They gave up pick and they gave up Mozgov. But overall, like Gallinari turned out to be at his peak, a 20 point per game score, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but not an all star, right? None of those players came close to Melo. And the reality is a core built around them <coughs> was still going to need a star. I think why people get upset about the Melo trade is, well, could they have just waited to sign him in the offseason? Something like that. Um, but in terms of just pure value on that trade, you know, they got back good. It was a, it was a fair trade from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> but yeah, that that's the kind of the parallel I would draw. Is like At that time, I thought there were three guys who were the Knicks blue chip prospects, and I would try to keep at least two of them. They ended up only keeping one. This time they have four, and I think they have more leverage <coughs> than um, they did with Mello. So I think they should try to keep all four. I would be so excited if they could keep. <coughs> and, I mean, all have a role, right? Um, they would. Quickly, the guy people... even quickly, even quickly, I think would be valuable because I could see, I could see Rose again struggling with injuries, and I can just see some points. You know, quickly, a... there's nothing wrong with having three really talented guards on your team or four. You know, if you include Rose, um, for you know, especially you know, quickly is a bit different than the others. The others are much better, I think, at dribble penetration. I think quickly is a better shooter than I mean, Mitchell shoots a, a, a good percentage on a high volume, a d- an average percentage on a high volume. But I think even saying before that, like, I would be most willing to give up quickly because I already have two small guards. Ideally, I would love to keep quickly because I think there's so many just different looks that he allows allows the team to go with and i think he has a lot of value going forward i i think quickly is a good player yeah um it's um and and i I think that the fact that he is a good defender which i think people still underrate he's getting stronger um you know really helps him shore up some of those lineups with brunson and mitchell he can guard two positions um and i would say grimes also fits because obviously he's a guy who can guard up guard big uh, if you are playing questionable defenders, you'd like him to be there next to them. Obi makes a ton of sense next to those guys as a as a role man, as kind of a, a connecting piece that works with them as a big. Uh, and then RJ, obviously, you know, if you're if you're guard heavy, you definitely want a wing. Um, you know, you want a proto, and he's the prototype prototypical NBA wing. So um, I think I would I would hold firm to try to keep all of them. Uh, and then yeah, if 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 it really is they just want Grimes and won't do it without that. You'd have to, but I wouldn't give up two of them for sure. It's so weird to think about a Nick team being guard heavy, but it's true. But like, yeah. particularly if they added Mitchell. Um, so okay, let's say you're running the Knicks and you get to this point of a tussle where you settled on the lesser players, you settled on the picks, but they want—I don't know—they want crimes, or they want—they want. They want Quickly, and you're really, you're really torn back and forth. And then Danny Ainge comes back and says, "All right, Stacy, I'm going to relent on the player, but you have to give up this iconic New York City way of life item. So, if the Jazz would take, let's say, Cam and McBride, five picks, but you can never have a bacon, egg, and cheese again. But I guarantee, but you're guaranteed that." Mitchell will be a piece on the Nick team that finally wins the title. Would you give up bacon, egg, and cheese for the Knicks to win that title? That is a really good question. Um, yeah, if we're getting a title, then probably. Yeah? Okay. Uh, I can just get a regular egg and cheese. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I would probably do that. Would you give up New York City pizza? No. <laughs> I knew that was the next I'm going to find you somewhere in the middle of all this. I would wouldn't... you give up New York City falafel? Nope. Very Those good. were the first three things I thought of. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you so far. Would you give up New York City hot dogs? Uh, Yeah. That's a little tougher for me, but I might. I would also, I would consider falafel just because I can still get shawarma and chicken and rice, but still probably no. Mm, okay. Would you sign up for Ohio State finishing ahead of Michigan for the next 10 years? 
<laughs> um, probably not. Although the getting factor is, there's a very good chance that happens anyway. <laughs> um, bagels. Would you give up bagels for a title? No. Yeah. Especially not New York City bagels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm with you on this. All right. Um, well, I would imagine you're not with me on the Ohio State Michigan thing, but I mean, if you told me like if the Knicks get Mitchell and they win a title, but you know the Mets don't contend for a decade, like that's a little rough, but I can probably survive that. I've seen the Mets go almost a decade without contending, like I can probably handle that. But it would not be fun. My life is a lot better when the Mets are good. Yeah. Um, well, it's good to have two both New York teams doing well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my the only other team I follow is Man City. So like sports wise, I'm doing pretty good. If they get Donovan Mitchell, I'm I'm mostly gonna be happy, I think. Um, especially if they don't have to go too much of value. Speaking of some of that young value, I have seen absolutely not a second of the summer league, but luckily for us, Stacy has. And one of the the big narratives to come out of the Vegas League has been Quentin Grimes um, being, like, the best player kind of out there. Um, from what you've seen, is this just, okay, Grimes is assuming a bigger role against competition, most of whom won't be in the league this year, or are you seeing specific things from Grimes that give you reason to think you're, you're seeing, like, a growing, maturing player? Definitely the latter. Um, I think like most of the Knicks, he has a crazy work ethic. Um, it's been talked about, but he did come into camp Kansas as like many people viewed him as a consensus lottery pick at the beginning of the season. Uh, I forget which draft that ended up being, but he fell out, struggled with an on-ball role, um, and he ended up having to transfer to, uh, to Houston, uh, which is a terrific program, by the way. They've developed a lot of players really well. Um and, you know, Calvin Sampson's done an amazing job there. Um, but um, but he had to reinvent his, himself as a player, right? He had to change from this kind of on-ball combo guard to a 3-and-D guy. And the intensity with which he plays on defense, his feel on that end, again, the defensive stuff, you can it's no surprise from a Calvin Sampson player, but most rookies are bad at defense. Quickly was a bad defender as a, as a rookie. And for Grimes to come in, uh, and immediately be that guy. It was no small feat. And uh, is he the best shooter on the team? You'd probably still give an edge to Fournier. But, you know, Grimes was 38% from three on 12 attempts per 100. That's elite volume. And um, and and obviously the efficiency was great. So, um, I mean, he's not that far behind Fournier, and he's six years younger, so you'd imagine that he's only going to get better. Um, but what's been most impressive, so the defense has been there, the audacious shot making, right? He, he is pretty contest agnostic because of his release. He can get it off over pretty much anyone. He showed more pull-up game, you know, sidestep, self-creation uh, off the dribble. And what I've really loved, especially after the first game, is that he's shown a lot inside the arc. He's shown the ability to execute some advanced dribble moves. Um, there was one play that was super impressive. He drove. And the man stayed with him and kind of armbarred him. And Grimes just kind of threw him off, basically, and finished through contact. Nice. Um, and so, um, and, and I think he's flashed some nice passing ability. I think he had eight assists the first game. Um, you know, he can make basic reads out of the pick and roll. I think you'd like the handle to be tighter. He's not super bursty. Um, but he's shown some moves. And I think, given his role, um, that's gonna that's all he needs for now. Uh, if you, I mean, if you, if you talk about Quentin Grimes with his shooting and defense as an on-ball player, you're talking about an all-NBA type player. Uh, I'm not so sure he will be the guy that can pilot an offense. But being more than just 3 and D, being a guy who can dribble, who can get into the paint, who can finish, um, that was really a, 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 the, the thing you wanted to see most. He, he didn't really take many shots around the rim and wasn't a good finisher last year. That's really improved. Um, and it showed in summer league. And he's not going to have to create as much at the NBA level. So, you know, if he's playing off Brunson or, you know, Donovan Mitchell at some point, uh, he's going to have his, he's going to be able to pick his spots very easily. And the off the dribble game he showed and the playmaking is going to fit perfectly. 
uh, as well as obviously the spacing and defense. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say, it is pretty funny because I think it's pretty consensus view. I think Sam Vestany was had a pod um, where he's talking about this, that Grimes is probably the best prospect there. Uh, if the Knicks were not contending for a summer league title, I think they would have shut him down. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. The first half of summer league, he was one for nine. Um, and there were people who were bringing it up, especially because there's been the stupid Grimes versus Reddish debate. <laughs> uh, which I get the reasons why people are higher on Reddish as in terms of a ceiling. Um, but I think that's different from saying like he should be starting over Grimes next year. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, like Reddish has to show more on particularly off-ball defense, uh, even though I was happy with what we got from Reddish last year. Uh, if he were to become, reach his defensive potential, I think that would be an interesting conversation. But you see people, you know, Grimes is one for nine. If you watch that first half, <clears throat> he was chucking. <laughs> Yeah, and he was trying to do a lot because I I imagine, and this is pure speculation, right? And maybe I'm wrong, but I would imagine. And it quickly went through this a little bit too. Like if you send a player like Quentin Grimes down to summer league, you know he can shoot and you know he can play defense. You want to, I I mean, if I was the coach, I'd tell him try some shit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like do some stuff. And he struggled to to do that properly. So I think he reined it a little bit back in the second half. Ended up coming up big with some big buckets to help them win. Um, and then the next game, I think it really clicked where he was able to do more on ball, but he's finding the right balance. He's playing with better pace. That's what you want at a summer league. Um, so it's been, it's been very fun to watch and, and he's not the only guy that's, that's impressed me. Um, there have been times where I think another Nick has actually been the best player for the Knicks. So it just shows you how much talent they have. Who else has impressed you from the team during the summer league? So at times Jericho Sims has looked like the best player on the, the summer league team. Really? Um, he has been, I mean, one, it's a little unfair because <laughs> I would say the gap, like a summer league guards, there's lots of guys who can create their own shot, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of guard and like play, play through their guards. Biggs though, uh, Jericho Sims is physically overwhelming for a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big, strong guy. Um, his athleticism has really popped. There's been a couple where he just looks like he's flying above the rim. He's had a couple of nice catches on lobs there was one where grimes actually said um you know he he thought he threw it too um he thought he threw it too too early and there's really no such thing with sims um (laughs) his defense has been really impressive great rim protection the one game they lost um so with sims the biggest development i you know i'm looking for from him is better decision making on the contest versus stay for the rebound stay home for the rebound decision because last year I think he aired too much. Like Mitchell Robinson was on one extreme of that as a rookie, right? He contested everything, and as a result, he was a poor defensive rebounder. That's an underrated improvement that he's made in this game. Sims was on the opposite end, where I think there were a lot of times he didn't contest. Um, And when they lost the Portland game in in Summer League, I think he got a little bit frustrated. Um, You know, Portland was was a very pesky team that didn't go away even when the Knicks took a big leap to start and towards the end he was contesting some shots he flat out shouldn't have which led to Mm. either his man getting an easy rebound or opening up a wide open pass um but those are i mean those moments have been few and far between for the most part he's been excellent he's also showed some offensive moves um you see him grabbing rebounds and going up the floor you know he's comfortable handling the ball in the open court um he had a really nice crossover it was a tween actually it was a he went between his legs Blew by his guy. He double tripled hilariously because, <laughs> um, but you know, it, that wasn't really, he looked very comfortable making that move and, and finished with a huge jam that got waved off. Mm-hmm. Um, he's shown, uh, he's shown some excellent footwork in the post, um, shows, shown the ability to face up uh, and he can pass. He's got good vision. So the offense is pretty encouraging. Do I think they're going to be featuring him a lot? Do I think Thibodeau is going to let him dribble the ball up the open court ever? No. Um, but I think he is a guy who can make some plays out of the high post. Uh, and, you know, with his vision and passing, you know, they're probably going to do that with Hartenstein. It would allow them a little bit of flexibility. And it's certainly more than what Mitchell Robinson has shown. Um, so Sims is very intriguing. Uh, I'm very interested to see what he looks like as a rim protector because that was an area which was a bit of a weakness for him as a rookie. And looks like he could be a strength because he's, his timing – and his understanding of angles um, is has that's really popped in summer league. So yeah, at times he's looked like the most dominant player for the Knicks. I think it's fair to say already that the Knicks have never picked a player 
as low as Sims just turned out as good. Well, Ron Baker was undrafted. <laughs> Let's say drafted players then, just drafted players. Undrafted is a whole, you know. I was also being facetious. I think Sims is already better than Ron Baker. See, you can never tell because Ron Baker has like Ron Baker people have like secret handshakes and like places where they gather. Like, there's a whole Ron Baker nation out there. Um, and I think I think guys like Baker, <clears throat> Knox, and Nilakina, at you, you know, and I, I loved Frank, but there is I think people think that the Knicks overrate their young guys. Because we had been so desperate for a young player, you know, yep. the word Chris and all that. We had been so desperate for a young player to be good. Um, and I get that. Um, what I think people don't get, though, is that maybe we are the girl who cried wolf. But I think that the Knicks young guys right now really are that good. Um, and we're no longer desperate for them to be those guys. Like, they're just, they're showing it. They're winning games, you know. So uh, this isn't, you know, Frank getting 20 points in a meaningless loss to the or win against the Wizards or something and, and for a lottery team. Um, the Knicks were beating contenders with the young guys. Um, you know, the Miami game is what sticks out. But, um, but yeah, in terms of guys they've drafted, I mean, there's only two picks after where Sims got drafted, right? So um, The only player I can think of draft, who was actually drafted that late who turned out really good was Isaiah Thomas. Um, oh, no, there's, there's another... The fifty seventh, one of the greatest players ever, went fifty seven. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna throw that too. Well, Ginobili was fifty seven, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sims is fifty eight, right? Yeah. And then I think Isaiah was sixty. Yeah, Isaiah was uh, Mister Pretty Relevant. In the yeah, end, but yeah, he was. Um, I don't know. I'll have to look. But I'm just saying, like the Hall of, I mean, Manu's a first ballot Hall of. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So well, Sims like, is too. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel very good about. No, I think that I, I. I the other guy, sorry. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Bad tangent, but yeah. If you put in Manu Ginobili, uh, it says people also ask, and the three suggested questions are: Is Manu Ginobili Hall of Famer? Did Manu Ginobili lose a testicle? <laughs> and I am on my work laptop, so I'm a little bit um, averse to clicking on clicking on that one. Did Manu Ginobili invent the Eurostep? <laughs> so <laughs> two very relevant questions and. One not so much, but um, I know the answer to one is yes, and the answer to three is no. I don't know the one about the testicle. Um, I'm on my home computer, so as soon as this episode is done, I will dig into some oh, research. About I, I clicked on it. I said, "Fuck it." Uh, <laughs> I feel Manu, like he has two testicles. Yeah, he jokes that he gave his right testicle to the Spurs. <laughs> he joked about that in 2016, and I guess he had a surgery. My first thought actually was that that time that he like caught a bat in the stadium, in the arena, like maybe he got some kind of like virus and it caused him to lose the ball, but I guess not. I guess Manu's okay. Glad to hear that Manu has two balls. Um, very unexpected topic for today's pod. <laughs> Moving on from that, um, have you seen anything of note? I was really interested in what kind of a summer league uh, Miles McBride would have and statistically it looks to me like he's done fine um what has stood out to you just actually seeing him on the floor um yeah i mean i didn't watch the last game i didn't watch as much of it but he really went off in that game so i'm probably a little bit more muted in my praise than other player people one because of that and two because i am super high on mcbride and i would say the first couple of games i was downright disappointed um because I have always felt McBride has the tools and the burst and the handle to get where he wants. He just has a tendency to settle for jump shots. And we, we know he's got a deadly pull-up. We know he can get that whenever we want. But we also know he's a pretty good passer. He just doesn't give himself enough opportunities because he won't get downhill into the teeth of the defense. The first couple of games, it really looked like he struggled to create space. Um, and he was still jump shot heavy. Now, I am going to say the defense has been what you'd expect from McBride all um, summer league long. Um, he's, his defense has been superb. He's gotten a ton of steals, made some big plays, got out in transition. He pushes the pace well. All of those things are great. And even if that's all he ever becomes, a capable shooter, and the shooting has looked deadly, you know, quick trigger off the pull-up, very effective off the catch. And he's just a, 
you know, <coughs> that's something like we saw what Gary Payton II did for the Warriors. Like McBride can, or DeAnthony Melton is a very key piece for the Grizzlies. I think even if he becomes that, it's very easy for me to see him having a path to becoming that kind of player, which should be really, for a second round pick, that's really good. Um, but the enticing part for me was always, I think he has that high floor. But if he can figure out ways to access the paint consistently, especially with his strength and his physical tools uh, and his passing ability, that can make him a really deadly player. And for the first couple of games, it was tough to see that. But he settled in. In the last game, you know, there, the first couple of games, there were there were flashes like of him driving through contact, getting a foul, <coughs> and finishing, um, finishing for an and one. Uh, he had a nice hesitation move that also, I believe, led to an and one or an open layup. Um, but I think the last game is when he really started to to attack more. That could be level of competition related. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see him right now as being a guy who's going to create a ton of space against. NBA defenders. That's still something he needs to improve, both from a mentality standpoint as well as ball handling. Because I think like his burst is probably not elite. I think it's underrated, but not elite. So he is going to have to tighten up his handle and be more crafty and trusted in tight spaces to really maximize his offensive ceiling. Um, and I, I do have to say this: um, given what quickly showed at the end of last year, um, you know, given what Grimes has showed. And given that they now have Brunson on the roster and Rokas Yokubaitis overseas, McBride, uh, as much as I like him a lot as a player, does become a bit more expendable um, as a result of just the, how deep they are at his position. Um, to begin with, I actually don't think he'll get a ton of minutes next year. Um, but I think just keep working on the handle and the craft and um, and being and developing that aggressive mentality, using your strength. He's a big boy. Um I think there's a there's a pretty terrific player in there, but even as is, like it's pretty easy to project him again being that kind of DeAnthony Melton type as like a terrific on ball energy defender who can also knock down open shots um, and give you you know twenty twenty five minutes of of, of solid uh, complimentary guard play, uh, especially if you have another initiator next to him. Yeah, he feels like a like a second or third contract player to me. Like there's yeah. a place in the league for him. Um, for sure. I think I think he could. I mean, I think he, he was. I mean, his on-off numbers too were really good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think, in general, playing with the bench helps that. But um, but I think even now, like he just he has a very high floor. It's easy to see him being a contributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the Knicks have a lot of guards. So. Uh, let me ask you this to close: Have you formed any impression at this point of uh, the next second-round pick, Trevor Keels, aka Fred? Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything about him standing out to you so far? I've, I've heard very little about him. Yeah, he hasn't really popped. Um, his So he wasn't an efficient shooter in college, but I always thought the form was good, and he's hit some tough three-pointers. Um, so I think, you know, that was one worry. He was like, can will he be able to shoot? I think I buy that. Um, he's definitely going to – the Knicks as a whole have had terrific defensive intensity. Uh, it starts obviously with Grimes and Sims. Uh, another guy who's really popped, and we should talk about him after this, uh, is Farron Hunt on both ends with his energy um, and impressive shooting. Um, but with Keels, I think the real issue is um, he's built really strong, and he's he's pretty effective as like his where he really shines on offense. And what was really interesting to me was his ability to drive, and he's a good passer. Uh, like whether that's kicking, uh, whether that's finding a role man, like he has good vision. There are numerous times where he drove, kind of did like the thing where you go under the hoop and then kicked it out to a shooter. Mm-hmm. So, so he showed some advanced playmaking, which makes him interesting. So if he could do that and shoot, those are you know interesting qualities. Um, but he has, but he really struggles to score inside the paint. Um, doesn't have much lift. He's only about six three, um, mm-hmm. so it's really just a bully wall, and that just hasn't worked for him. So hasn't really popped the way you would expect. But I think, you know, the passing is definitely something I think people should be talking about more in the defense. And so he just, I think he has to hit a pretty high outcome as a shooter to really, to stick. Um, but the form looks good and and he does have some other intriguing tools. Is the passing at this point, you would say, his his strongest NBA skill? I'd still probably say his defense yeah. and strength. Okay. But on offense, I would say his passing is his best skill. Okay. And um, tell us about... Mr. Hunt. Yeah, Hunt is um, 
probably a guy not as many Knicks fans are familiar with. He probably, I think he, he did get a contract, right? Um, so he's on the roster probably as like a 15 fan and he's been really effective. Um, he, um, he's what really pops is athleticism. Um, he's very much an above the rim player, monster in transition, um, loves to run the floor and, um, you know, um, and get out in transition, you know, a little bit like Obi. Um, and he's also on defense. He, he had 10 steals, I think the first three halves. So I think he had seven steals the first game and three steals the first half of the second game. Wow. So he's been, and, and the the Knicks as a whole have just been playing extremely aggressive defense. Um, and he's been adept at getting into passing lanes. Um, I thought he did a good job. I think where he struggled a little bit against Portland, he played, um, he had to defend a guy named Trendon Watford who, um, who went to Portland last year, secured a two-way contract. Um, he's, he's an interesting player, but he's a bigger body, 6'9", 230. Hunt is, Hunt is more of a 6'7", 225. So he's really more of like a power, an undersized power forward in like a Derek Jones Jr. type role. Hmm. Um, so he struggled, but I thought he competed well, and, and he, he, he came and he, and he changed, he adapted to kind of make some plays. They ended up losing that game, but I thought Hunt, um, I was impressed with his medal and, that he didn't get frustrated with kind of a tough matchup. I think the other impressive thing is like he shot 38% in G league on like a low volume. Hmm. He's been capable as a shooter too. And for that kind of player, that's what you usually worry with. Cause like a guy like Derek Jones jr, you know, these freak athletes, um, oftentimes, you know, for whatever reason, like you often see that the, the spacing gets hurt or they're not a terrific shooter, but I think hunt is very capable and, um, he's really impressed with his energy his defense and and yeah the shooting has has been there too so who would you say of the young players who are new to the roster this year would be the most likely to surprise us and make an impact at some point in the season for the Knicks would it be Hunt probably Jalen Brunson I'm oh, sorry I mean just <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to define young as like 22 and under um so of the people Hunt, you've seen in summer league, who were yeah. not on the team a year ago, so Hunt technically was right last year. Okay, but I'll, I'll throw him in there too. Um, Hunt probably not, um, especially if Randall and, and Obi are still here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, anybody? Uh, oh yeah, oh, of the guys who weren't on the team, yeah, Grimes would be an easy answer. Um. I mean, I guess it would. I guess it would be Hunt because I I don't see Keels as being there yet. Yeah. Um. I think he needs to work on his body, um, and it's going to take some time for him to be an offensive contributor. Um, probably be Hunt. Yeah. I mean, especially let's say Randall gets if one of Randall or Obi gets traded, then you know yeah. I still think you'd probably see more of Cam Reddish and RJ at the, you know, I I think RJ, I think Tibbs would trust. Reddish at the four if he played RJ next to him because RJ is such a good rebounder. Right. Uh, and he's gone to that lineup. So that would probably be what happens first. But, um, you know, Hunt with his energy, like, he's, it's just very easy to see him giving you minutes at a, in an NBA game and not hurting you, um, which is um, which is saying something. And there's been other guys in Summer League who have played well as, as well. Um, Daquan Jeffries is a guy who is a pretty big um, draft Twitter guy. Um, I know our friend Daily Sabonis. Um, Mm. Loved him when he was on the Kings. Uh, another big body with good athleticism who can, you know, defend multiple positions. And the three wall is looks good too. So I don't know if it'll be with the Knicks, but I think he'll stick somewhere. So nice. Any other topics you want to hit on today? No, I think uh, we touched on. We even touched on Monty Ginobili's right testicle. So it's really wide range. Figuratively touched on his testicle. <laughs> um. Well, that's all for a very exciting and dramatic episode of the Believe Next podcast. Um, the Mitchell news could, you know, it could change in days, it could change in weeks, it could theoretically change in a couple of months even, because it's still about two months till training camp. So um, if anything breaks, you'll hear from us. If not, you'll hear from us soon anyway. Um, everybody have a good mid-July time, and we will see you again soon. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.